Hi, I'm Sam Walsh, producer of Multisite Masters. Welcome to this week's show. This week we have Lee Sheldon joining us. Lee is the co-founder of Mastering Multi-Units, a training and development consultancy specialising in the retail and hospitality industries. In this episode, Lee talks us through the concept of operational excellence, explaining what it is, what it should mean to a multi-site business, and how a business goes about achieving and sustaining operational excellence. We then take a deep dive look into the role of the area or regional manager and discuss just why they are often the key enabler for growth and success. Lee also shares with us some of the typical and most common issues multi-site businesses have when they first approach he and his team and some of the frameworks and tools that he and his team like to use to help them on their mission. This episode is brought to you by Yapster, the mobile chat app for retail and hospitality teams. Some of the UK's biggest retail and hospitality brands are already using Yapster to drive sales, improve job satisfaction and lower staff turnover. To find out more about how Yapster can help your organisation, please visit yapster.info. That's Y-A-P-S-T-E-R dot info. Okay then, on with the show. Welcome Lee, how are you doing today? I'm good, Sam. Good to speak to you. Good stuff. Um, so, just to get us started, Lee, can you... Give our listeners a bit of a background as to your career to date, where you've come from, um, and yeah, just a whistle stop tour, please. Yeah, certainly. I suppose if I can go back to the beginning, it started, my first proper job was working in my parents' business, which was a very large CTN or news agent in Fulham, North End Road, Fulham. And I think it, my father always used to say it was the biggest independent news agent in the country at the time. So it was, it was quite a big thing for us. And I ran the shop on a Sunday. So that was kind of my first exposure to retail. And I suppose I learned a lot of my retailing background and principles from that process. Um, I had the opportunity of also doing a part-time job in Burger King, which I, I loved, I have to say. I had great fun when they opened up um, in Fulham. And it was one of the original Burger King stores in, in the UK, if I remember. And then, long story short, I did a uh, qualification in what at the time was Eden College of Higher Education in Hotel and Catering Institutional Management, if I remember the, the title correctly. Thought that I loved it. It was very hard work working in hotels. Um, had thought about doing something very different, um, but the recession at that point, early nineties, was kicking in. So to be honest, my parents needed help paying the mortgage. So I said, "Well, I'm going to get a job for 12, 18 months." I love movies. Always love movies. Always will. And there was this company called Blockbuster Video advertising <laughs> for assistant managers. And I thought, "Oh, I'll do that for you know, 12 months, maybe 18." And uh, stayed there 16 years. Wow. So although I, I kind of put it into three phases. My first phase was assistant manager and a store manager, working mm-hmm. in numerous locations. Then I became a multi-unit manager, or as we at the time called them district managers. Ah, okay. Of course, yeah. that job title, multi-unit manager, is area manager, DM, regional yeah. manager, but it's anyone who manages multiple sites and is a manager of managers. I did that for, I think it was just over five and a half years. And then I moved, at the time I was told I was being moved into the dark side, but into HR. Uh, or pink and fluffy side was something else somebody said. And uh, I took on a role in learning development, ostensibly to help develop store and district managers. That was kind of my key focus. But over time, that expanded. I did my CIPD qualifications whilst I was there. It was about five years doing that job. And then uh, it was one of those moments in fate where the CEO, on, on the day I got a, a headhunter phoning me up, the CEO left to spend more time with their kids or plants or whatever it might be 
And I thought, I'm not sure where this business is going. Mm. You know, this little thing called Netflix had popped up, yeah, and they were etc. Et and I was conscious that my CV pretty much says Blockbuster. So I had the opportunity to go and work with SSP, uh, who at that point had only just been spun off from Compass. Okay. And one of the great things, I was there for seven years, one of the great things about SSP was the uh, multitude, diverse number of brands and concepts that they operate with. Some of their own, so upper crust, that you'll be familiar with at railway stations, yes, yeah. Cafe Tatsa, these cookies. But also some of their partners. So uh, some people don't know that any M&S in a railway station or an airport, Simply Food, is, mm. is SSP. A Burger King, again, is SSP. Starbucks in railways is, is SSP, or most of them. So it was a real opportunity to work with many, many brands after working with one brand for a long time. And then internationally, as I began to move into, I was head of L&D for the UK, and then took on group director role for SSP globally, operating in 33 countries, I had the opportunity to travel the various countries. Obviously, saw some great places, but more importantly, met some stunning people and, and learned so much. And Fantastic. it was at the end of that point when I, I'd had this idea about MMU, which I'm obviously we'll talk about, and it was felt now was the time to put it my, uh, my, my idea into action. And with my co-founders, MMU was born. Brilliant. Okay, so what is Mastering Multi-Units? Um, and how, how did that come about? And, and what is it now today? Yeah, so go back to my blockbuster role, going into training development. It was one of those, how did I get this gig sort of thing. I was like, oh my God, I'm not an HR person. How have I got this job? And my one of the people I admire hugely, they're called Lynn Jack, who's HR director for... Uh, TK Maxx in uh, globally now as based in Australia she she saw something in me I guess gave me a confidence that maybe I didn't have at the time and gave me that opportunity but because I felt when I was, I was lacking the L&D side of it I looked for a training and development company that focused on operations and to be honest with the exception of his great Jim Sullivan but he's based in the US I couldn't really find anyone else and at that time this was 19 six I think and I seven there wasn't really anyone else yeah. so I had this idea it then took 13 years and I won't bore you with the 13 years but partly uh, meeting my co-founders Daniel and Andy other individuals as well which we'll talk about MMU became born out of this there's a gap in the market for a training development company that really does focus on operations yeah. in particular multi-unit um, managers so area managers district managers because I do believe there's a real challenge having done it myself going from single site to multi-site there's some real yes, challenges yeah. so skill sets you've got to learn skill sets you've got to let go of mm -hmm. to be frank to be successful so we felt that this the time was right this was 2013 the time was right to look at building this and we, we finally got going in 2014 so. fantastic so the the issues that you saw multi-site businesses struggling with back then are, are they still the same or what do you think? To be honest, in many respects, yes. And even when I think back to my days as an area manager, the principles and foundations are actually the same. One of the most common things I, when I talk to HR directors or ops directors is they sometimes know they've got a problem, mm -hmm. but they're not really sure exactly what it is. So we know we're not performing in this area, but we can't tell you why. And when you look for what kind of data is telling you you've got this burning platform that you want mm -hmm. to escape from, it's very, very woolly at best. Sometimes it's non-existent. There's a gut feeling. I'm going to stereotype here, but gen generically, probably two of the most common things I see missing as a skill set from multi-unit managers, which then translates into performance, is their ability to manage poor performance. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever met a manager who regrets dealing with poor performance. What they regret is not dealing with it sooner. Right. And that skill set, that proactivity to know how 
to have the courage and the confidence to have the conversation. I thought well, there's an opportunity here to both build competence and confidence to do so. Second point, again, I know I'm broad brushing here, but almost time management, planning and proactivity also is often very challenging. When you're in a, a restaurant, uh, running a pub or running a store and you're a single unit manager, to a large degree, your day is planned for you, your week is planned. There's a lot of activity which is set out in stone. Moving into multi-unit management, it becomes much more ambiguous. Mm -hmm. You now have 10, 12, 15 locations to visit. No one necessarily tells you when or how often or what you should do. So the ability to structure that is often missing. As a result of that, inconsistency around operational excellence is probably the most common factor that people come to us or people talk about operational excellence isn't consistent. Yeah, okay. Okay, so um, what do you mean by operational excellence exactly, Lee, and, and how does mastering multi-units help in that respect? Yeah, good question, Sam. Um, operational excellence, those two words that people just bandy about, I think, very easily. I have a bit of a mantra about this, which is the road to operational excellence is paved with discipline and consistency. Now, those two words are not sexy. We would much rather talk about strategy or new promotions or new product or whatever it may be. But actually, as Jim Sullivan talks about, they are being brilliant at the basics, having that absolute habitual focus on getting the basics right is underpins what operational excellence yeah. to, to achieve it is. Um, one of my mentors had a, uh, his name's Bob Heverington, um, he'd been CEO at many companies including Walmart, worked in Sainsbury's and SSP. He talked about operational excellence being a style of, of leadership, problem solving and team working, mm -hmm. ultimately to achieve continuous improvement. And that's what it's about. So the operational excellence is your base level, but how do you get better and get sustained superior performance? I don't believe having a great PL for one or two months is sustained superior performance. You've got to keep on delivering. You're only as good as your last PL or your last match, as I might say in football. So you've got to keep doing it. That sustainability is often the challenge. At a baseline level, I think you have to have your operational excellence procedures standards codified. If it's not written down, if it's not defined, you are moving on to what I would describe interpretation. You're, it's open to interpretation. And my view of what the standard should be could be very different to yours. And when you get that, you get variance and inconsistency. Mm -hmm. inconsistency. So operational excellence for me is discipline and consistency built upon a foundation of clear, this is what the brand standard is, or this is what good looks like, because sometimes it doesn't have to be quite as technical as a brand standard, it could just be a description of, from a behavioural point of view, of what it should be. Yeah, but if you sense. lack that, it's difficult to manage the performance of it. Okay, sounds very good. And how does mastering multi-units come in and then help a business who's maybe struggling with their operational excellence? Uh, I think there's probably a couple of points there. Firstly, there's very rarely not already some pockets of great operational excellence. It's very, um, I don't think I've ever come across an organisation where everything is all before at all, of course not. So what is it those pockets of excellence are doing and how are they doing it? And I think it's worth exploring that. Because sometimes it can be as simple as how do we cascade that across the rest of the business? It could be some best practice that one particular part of the business has adopted that others haven't. Maybe because they haven't been told it, don't see the benefits, or whatever. So where can you uh, take what's working and spread it? We talk about four disciplines to operational excellence, and if company will have a different way of um, terming these, I guess, but fundamentally first is having what I call the, the, the pre-flight checklist, the duty manager review, to make sure we are ready to serve day in, day out. 
And when I say ready to serve, that's before each of our peak trading periods. So if it's a morning and then uh, afternoon for lunch and then again for dinner, you'd have three peaks. You need to Makes be checking sense, three yeah. times a day. Maybe it's two times a day. But just like the pre-flight checklist on the plane, I don't care how many times that pilot has gone, you know, I've flown hundreds of times. I don't need to bother with that. No, no, if they do, I'm getting off. They have to do the pre-flight checklist. In the same sense, it's not a, a tick box checklist that there's a mental piece, there's a hearts and minds piece here about why a, a tool like that is valuable to ensuring that we are ready to serve. And the multi-unit manager job is not to do the checklist every day. If they are, they're, they're not operating effectively. It's to make sure that mindset of why this is important is there and make sure they're looking for trends and inconsistencies in the delivery. So if I'm coming in, I'm visiting one of my locations and two or three times I'm seeing the same issue coming up, I would hope the store manager, he or she has already identified that. Then not only have they identified there's a gap between what should be and what the actual is, they have a plan to close that gap and that that plan is not a sticking plaster, it is fixed sustainably or as much as it can possibly be. The second discipline is around reviewing business performance. Um, that's probably once every four weeks, once every six weeks, the sit down, the, the period monthly review. That will naturally and rightly focuses on many financial metrics, but it should be a balanced review. And what I mean by that is, yes, the financial KPIs are there too, but also customer insight, customer information, customer feedback, mystery shopper, etc. Employee development, what are we doing about that? How many people are in the pipeline? How many people have been promoted or going through particular uh, company training programs? Mm -hmm. Also, operational excellence, what does that look like from a standards perspective? What are our competitors doing? If the local competitor, the manager, is not aware of any new promotions, products, new approaches that they've adopted, I would be concerned. They should be aware of that. Yeah, so the review is an opportunity to look back. But the problem often is that the review is all looking back. And you know the old cliche, we don't drive our cars by looking in the rearview mirror the whole time. We need to look forward. So that the third discipline is having a proactive plan of action and I think the word smart objectives I think whenever I say that I always look for the eyes that kind of roll and the groan and one day when I'm old and bored and maybe rich if I'm lucky I might commission some research to prove there is no correlation between knowing what a smart objective and actually is and actually being able to write a smart objective just to be frank some of the um, how can I put it drivel that I see is is, is concerning that people can't write detailed action plans that focus on doing the most important things. So where have we been is the review, but where are we gonna go in the next 90 days to attack what we sometimes refer to as the big rocks affecting profitability, sales, labor, margin cost of goods. Really, they're the three big levers that an operator can, yeah. can pull and affect. What are you gonna do about those? If you're behind in your budget, how are you gonna minimize that gap? What additional things can you do to minimize that? And then you need to quantify. So a classic example would be a store saying we're going to boost uh, impulse items of chocolate bars. Okay, how many chocolate bars do you sell now? What's the value of that? How many more are you going to sell? What additional cash can that generate for you over six weeks or eight weeks, depending on how long the plan lasts? How much in total can that generate for you? And if you deliver that, that comes off your total gap that you currently have. But it's not just about the financials, as I said, it's also about a team development plan, improving customer experience. So what's the proactive plan? 
And I'm sure you've all heard the 80-20 rule, the Pareto yes, principle. Yes, yeah. I've made my little version of that. We call it the 20-80 rule, which yeah. you're allowed to spend 20% of your time telling me why you've got a problem, and then 80% of your time on what you're going to do about it. Ah, I like and, that. And not in reverse, because too many people want to sit there and moan and whinge and tell me why they've got a problem. Fine, but what are you going to do about it? And what are you going to do about it with specifics? When's it going to be done by? Who's going to do each step? How are you going to measure it, etc. That kind of detail I often find lacking. And then the fourth discipline is, I suppose, what you would describe as the store visit or the, the pub visit or whatever it may be. How you uh, conduct a critical impact visit that makes a difference. That even before you've got there, you've thought, why am I visiting this location today? What are we reviewing? That action plan that we just spoke about, that should often be the roadmap for the visit because you should be reviewing that and checking on it and checking on progress. Yep. But of course, there'll be other issues too. I'm not just going to the locations for a coffee and a chat with the manager because I hadn't seen him or her for a while. I should be going there very clearly. And I learned many years ago, I was posed a question. When I get in my car as a district manager and I get to the end of my road, am I turning left or am I turning right? What's driving that other than I just haven't been to that store for a while? What data, what measurement, what actions are driving my plan for the month? Interesting. Yeah. Often I find district managers say, I need to visit my store once a month, each one. Well, okay, but have we ever challenged that thinking? Perhaps some stores need you there once a week or twice a week. Others maybe once every six, seven weeks. Yeah. And I'm not advocating you abandon your high performers. I'm not suggesting that. But sometimes they need more space and they welcome that space. And other people need more of your time. Maybe you need to spend more time there. So those four operating disciplines, again, they'll be called different things in different companies. But we always look to see how are they in place and how consistently are they implemented and executed? Because it's a bit of execution. Yeah. The best intentions in the world are lovely, but we all get paid for what we, not what we intend to do, but what we actually do. Yes, of course. So, so what is MMU's approach to helping companies develop this operational excellence model, Lee? Well, I suppose, again, maybe if I take a step back, one of the key players in MMU's foundation was a gentleman called Professor Chris Muller, who at the time I met him was at Rosen College in, in Florida. He's now at Boston University, and he developed a model of multi-unit management development, which I believe we're going to be out. The listeners will be able to download if they wish to from the site. Yes, we'll put the a link to that in the footnotes after the podcast. Great, and effectively the model was a typical two-axis job with time along the bottom, complexity along the top, and it talks around the concepts that multi-unit manager DMs etc. needed to master. Uh, it starts with operations, it moves into profit and financial, it moves into marketing and growth, and then human resources retention, and or bench strength, as I like to call it. Chris um, posits that effectively it shouldn't take more than two years. Now, arguably people could do it a lot quicker than that, but he would, and I would agree, if you haven't mastered the basics of this in two years, I'm not sure you ever are. And I think there's a challenge for operations directors and HR to have some difficult conversations perhaps with people who cannot meet that meet that time frame. So assuming, of course, they've had support to do so. There's nothing wrong. And my induction in my DM job was, here's the keys to your car, here's your laptop, and here's your list of stores. Good luck. And that, that was it. So this is about providing people with a roadmap, a framework. And so this model acts as our framework as well in many respects. Um, Chris, there's a dotted line on the model that people, when they view it, can see, and it's referred to as the super operator. And effectively, this is the the operator, man or woman, who is trying to run their district as if they're running one shop still. And the mindset, and if I use marketing as a good example, marketing is all about making sure the point of sale is up in the window, the right terminal toppers are available, the staff are aware of promotion. 
if that's all they see as marketing, when they go into a store, they'll be the person sticking up the poster or they'll be talking to team members and briefing them about the promotion. Of course, marketing is partly that, but now it's much more about understanding the importance of the brand and brand image. It's about understanding what competitors. There's an element of pricing. We refer to LSM and we talk about something we call a sales formula, which fundamentally is number of visits, transactions on one side, average spend on the other. Now, it breaks down even more than that. But do area managers understand that? A super operator just looks at, is the poster up in the window? And if they're not, they're sticking out. Right, okay. So there's almost, they've got to let go of some of the things that's made them successful and embrace new skill sets. Partly that goes back to what is the knowledge, the, the behaviors, the soft skills, if you prefer, and the technical skills that you need to learn to become a multi-unit manager. So becoming a remote manager is different. And this, our, how our approach, I suppose, is how do you help people on that journey? Mm-hmm. We get asked really to do two things. How do we help the current population? And how do you develop the next generation? Okay. And often that next generation is very rarely just plucked out of their location and they could be sitting kind of on the, on the payroll for six, nine months, just floating there waiting for a vacancy. They're normally still in their location, their store, their pub, whatever, their restaurant. But they want to challenge them and stretch that person because they think they've got the potential. So we've helped people with that. But this road, this model acts as that roadmap for that. Okay, brilliant. So this model, would you typically apply it to any business who reaches out and wants to do some work with you? or? It's a model that I think is, is easy to understand. Yeah. And what's great is Professor Muller, I mean, he fortunately supports MMU is one of our non-exec. So we're able to put on his research as well, which is, which is great and get him involved in projects. What's different between when I first looked into this topic back in the, the mid-90s is in the UK, we've got Professor Chris Edgar. I'm not sure what I always call Chris, but Professor Chris Edgar, who at Birmingham has done fantastic work, has written some superb books on the topic, and um, they provide academic programs in Birmingham for people who want to do that. Now, I accept not everybody wants to go down that route, yeah. but I think what the Chris and Chris have done is professionalise the profession of being a multi-unit manager and really help people to to understand why this job, why this role is so important. I, and I might say this because of what we do, I think they're the key enabler. If you get excellent, world-class multi-unit managers, you're going to be successful. They can also be the key blocker. Yes, of course. Um, And again, one simple example of bad behaviour, I would argue, would be uh, an instruction, a new promotion, a new, whatever it may be, process. That company is implementing the district manager thinks this is a silly idea a stupid idea and vocalizes that to their team and you would think well surely why would they do that again i've sat in meetings and observed district managers effectively um, being very negative to put it politely about something the company yeah. is doing undermine, undermine absolutely and guess what the store managers think oh my boss doesn't think it's important he thinks it's silly or she doesn't think it's worthwhile doing i won't do it or i won't do it well so they really are setting themselves up for a fail and again it surprises me how often that happens typically what we try to do is there's three interactions which i think are very helpful to observe and help with the store visit when the uh, manager is out there visiting his or her stores how they're planning for them how many are they scheduling when are they scheduling them for etc what structure happens when they go on the visit so that's one interaction the second interaction can occur on the same day, which is that review, that once a month, once every six weeks review and action planning session. Sometimes it's a separate meeting in the, in the DM's office, perhaps. And the third one isn't always typical, but do they have a regional meeting where they get their store managers together, their pub managers, their GMs, whatever, and they bring them together for a day? And again, too often I hear people 
um, unfortunately have to sit through people presenting 190 PowerPoint slides over three hours, whatever it may be, and just talking at the managers for three, four or five hours. And my view is well, actually, can we not condense that? Can we not maybe send it out in advance for people to read? And we've got all of that brain power in the room. Why don't we use that to problem solve, to discuss how we're going to implement, to actually use that power to come up with solutions, not just to present at them. So there are three interactions. What I often find, and uh, this is not meant to be a derogatory comment about the HR profession at all, I do often find I get asked an early question, how many courses is it? How many workshops is it? Okay, yeah. And been as in if like my old world, being an L and D yeah. head of L and D, I, I get that. But equally, it frustrates me because I think we all appreciate, or we pretend to appreciate, that actually training courses have a, a certain amount of value, but a limited amount of value. Yeah. And I forget the stats off the top of my head, but certainly within a week or two, you've forgotten 70 percent of what you've learned. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, but it has to be followed up with a follow up. There has to be a checking back, not just once, but several times. Arguably, one of my best friends said to me, aren't you doing the job at MMU of their boss? Aren't you just being the ops director? And yeah, I, I took that absolutely on the chin and said, I think it's a really good point. Often though, the ops director doesn't have the time. There's so much in, on their plate. Sometimes perhaps they lack the confidence and competence that I spoke about earlier to manage the performance, but often they just want support to do it. So yes, of course we've done workshops and sometimes it's cost effective for the client to want to do that. But I'm always, always banging the drum to say, actually, what I think makes us stand apart is it's not about what goes on in the walls of the training course. It's about going out, role shadowing, observing them, the ops manager, the multi-unit manager, doing their job and giving them feedback and coaching on the spot, so to speak, not what you do in a training room. Yeah, and so it should be. That's good. And do you find when you start working with a new client, with a, with a multi-site business who's reached out to yourself and your team and they want your help, is it quite easy to get them to buy into this idea that they need to invest such a length of time, whether it's a year or two years into a big piece to, to turn around their operational excellence? Or are they often coming to you looking for quick wins and hoping they can fix things in six months? Uh, I think, to be honest, you're quite right about quick wins and a year to two years would be uh, being generous if, in terms of thinking ahead. Yeah. Often people want solutions relatively quickly. I think people do tend to come around to the idea that you do need to follow up. That, that's very rarely do I, is that a drum that I have to bang um, and, you know, on, on my own, so to speak. But there is still, I think, an over-reliance on a course will solve the problem. Um, what's interesting is some of the clients we work with are so diverse in terms of their industry so yes retail and hospitality you know welcome break would be a fantastic brand which i can't sing their praises enough in terms of how they approach developing their people and they've worked to develop their multi-unit managers and have challenges that are very similar to another organization one of our first ever clients actually a company called the westerly group who operate um, multiple units but crematoriums oh wow okay. yeah 24 or 25 i think it was at the time across the uk and I was a bit like, yeah, well, wow, this is this is going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah. And you know what? The challenges are the same. Growing revenue, um, dare I say add-on sales, but suggestive selling, but obviously in a very different context. And the challenges of managing costs, labor, they're all there. And often the issues of not managing poor performance, of being um, concerned, nervous of doing it, not planning the time that I talked about earlier, same issues. So actually, depending on the sector you're in, often the challenges are very, very similar, even if the detail of what you're selling or what you're doing can be quite, di can be quite different. Brilliant. 
Okay, really interesting to hear about those guys, the Westerly group. So I've, I've been doing some reading, uh, some background reading recently around the, the whole discipline of multi-site um, management and how you can, you can up your game, whether you're a regional area manager yourself or whether you're just a general manager and you're wanting to, to start looking at it. And I, I read up and found that you guys, you have, um, beyond the model that you just described there, you also have these things called critical impact activities. Um, so can you explain to me a little bit about what they are and, and where they fit into into the whole the bigger picture? Yes, certainly. I mean, I think, again, our own experiences with my co-founders, Andy and Daniel, um, our experiences working in SSP with operators the last couple of years, we, we very much focused on developing these multi-unit managers. External people like Bob that I mentioned, Professor Muller, Professor Edgar, all of these people have, have, have created so much information. And what we try to do is to take their insights and uh, translate it, probably is the wrong term, but to be able to put it into a package, which hopefully is easy to understand. And the critical impact activities was an attempt to say, what should you be doing, tasks and activities, and then marrying to that, what are some of the behaviours? So it's not just, as some competency frameworks are purely about behaviour, equally some are just about the task, it's trying to capture both. What should you do and how should you behave in terms of how you do it? Okay. There are six CIAs, as we call them, or critical impact activities, the first one is analyze, which is really about quantifying, getting under the skin. It's amazing how often I hear a district manager say, yeah, we're up 2% against our sales, okay? And when you delve into that, that may be against last year, maybe not against budget. They may not know of their 12 stores, how many of them are actually above budget, yeah. below budget. They so talk need, quite general terms. Need some context around it to make it valuable then. Yeah, but context with the detail. And I think getting under the skin, getting in the detail, just like I spoke about the action plans, sometimes it's quite superficial. Mm. Um, the, the second uh, CIA is plan, which is, as again, we've spoken about getting into the detail, being specific about what needs to be done with owners, with accountabilities and with timeframes. Communicate was the third, and in many respects, we had a long debate about whether or not we needed this because surely it permeates everything. But I've yet to find anyone who says, you know, I've had too much communication, I don't need it anymore. Um, maybe too many emails, but uh, not so much in terms of communication. And that's about, yes, not just one way, it's two way. So giving me a voice, giving me engagement to be able to put in my ideas, come up with my own solution, as well as being told what to do. And I suppose there's a coaching element there. So communication never ends. I don't think you ever tick the box on that one. You're constantly updating, you're constantly reviewing. You've got new people coming in, I'm sure, keeping them, getting them on board and keeping them engaged. The fourth one is observe, and that's very much linked back to when I, as a multi-unit manager, visit with my people, what am I looking out for? What's my, what's my structure for my day? Am I trying to be the, the cop? Am I trying to catch people doing things wrong? Or hopefully a coach looking for opportunities to say, great job, maybe make some, ask some questions to get them to think about things they could do differently to improve it next time. But too often, it's I'm in audit mode, I'm here to do a checklist, and I'm here to catch you doing things wrong. That's bad, I would suggest. Uh, I'm not saying it isn't an element of it, but uh, it shouldn't be the fundamental purpose of the visit. Uh, the, there's different elements to, to reviewing the visit and different visits that you might do. An, an announced visit versus an announced visit, they both have merit and there's both reasons why you might do them. The fifth is develop, and that's about me acting as a coach, as a multi-unit manager, to develop the next generation. We refer to the concept um, which Chris introduced me to, Chris Muller, the, the rule of seven. 
So as a district manager, I would want ideally to have at least two people who I think could develop into a district management role in the future. It doesn't mean they're replacing me necessarily, but they might go elsewhere in the organisation. So I'm a great believer in succession across borders. I don't just board my people, my talent. But not just who those people are, who are the two people who could replace them? And then if you think about going through this process, the, the manager underneath me, the store manager or general manager, they should have the same. Who are the two assistant managers that could potentially take over as a store manager? But who are the supervisors or shift managers, whatever the title might be, who could be assistant managers in the future? And we talk about three categories, I suppose, three pots, if you like. I'm going to develop you, Sam, in role. So you're going to stay doing your job. I'm just going to help you to be better at what you're doing. Great. In the next 12 months, that's how I see you. Or I see you developing for stretch or growth. So you're going to stay in your job, but I'm going to give you more responsibility. Or I might keep you as an assistant manager, but I'm going to move you to another much bigger location where there's more people to manage a much bigger operation. Okay. Or it might be I'm going to give you a project to get involved in. You, you have to do with that. The third pot, perhaps the easiest to identify, is develop a promotion. I see you being the next district manager, store manager, whatever it is. What am I specifically going to do? What are we going to do? To develop you for the next 12 months so we could get in 12 months time and promote you how many times do i see on development plans the words ongoing and yeah uh, don't, don't yeah. get me started on that but it's one of those what are the specific actions just like i talked about with sales labor and margin what are the specific actions i'm going to do to develop sam over the next quarter and i would expect a store manager a world-class store manager or gm would have a clear action plan for the next quarter that's yes about sales but also about developing my team so that's the develop, and the final one, um, I, I'll let you into a secret, I wanted to call this execute, but people felt that I might send the wrong message. <laughs> but, so we went with review, which sounds more neutral, but this is the closing the loop for me. This is following up to make sure the plan's being delivered. If it's on track, that's great. If it's not, do we need to uh, course correct? Okay. I used yeah. the pre-flight checklist uh, metaphor earlier. For me, this is a bit like flying. It's a bit like I, my landing point, my, my flight plan is I'm going to land in New York, but during that flight, I'm going to be blown off course. I'm going to take a different uh, course to avoid turbulence. So you, of course you'll get blown off and you'll have to get back. It's about recalibrating to get back on track or saying actually New York isn't the destination we want to go to anymore. Let's land somewhere else. Too often people are full speed ahead in all directions. And I think part of the multi-unit management role is to say no to good ideas. It's, arguably one of the secrets of time management, but let's stay focused on doing a few things really, really well. And reviewing is closing that loop and giving hopefully positive recognition when you are achieving what you need to achieve and then correcting performance when you're not. Brilliant. They sound really good, the uh, critical impact activities there. Thank you very much, Lee. Okay, so here's a question for you. Um, who Who is doing it well on the high street today? Who do you think which brands, uh, which high street retail chains or hospitality chains are really excelling at multi-site management and operational excellence in your eyes? Um, that's a very good question. The investment in multi-unit management development has definitely picked up, I think, in the last five years. Right. Um, I mentioned the programme that uh, Chris, uh, Professor Chris Edgar does. He has had hundreds, I think, of multi-unit managers going through that. Stonegate Inns is a very good example of a company that I think is investing in that level. Equally, I would say Nando's is a great example of okay. a company yeah. at all levels, I'm sure we'd all agree, but at all levels is developing. And I think I go back to that comment about some companies see we don't actually have a big need for many multi-unit managers, therefore we won't spend a lot of time on it, mm -hmm. because if we do, they might leave. 
and then we've trained up people to leave. And I think those companies are saying, well, actually, we do understand the importance of developing them. Also developing high potential SMs or GMs to take on that role, because even if they don't take it on anytime soon, they're enhancing their abilities as store managers or GMs. That could only be a good thing, surely. It, it engages them, excites them. I feel I'm being grown by my company. I want to do a good job as in return, if you like, for that investment in me. So that's two companies that immediately spring to mind. I mentioned Welcome Break earlier again, who have invested. Um, but I'm sure there are many out there who want to do more. And it's one of the things that we're always obviously delighted to talk to companies about who go, we know we've got a problem yeah. or we know we want to get better. We're not doing badly, but we just want to get better. Not quite sure how we do that. And what we've just literally in the last few weeks been um, announcing is we're creating a 360 feedback tool that's specifically about the multi-unit management role. And it's a 360 tool that's based on our competency framework, which includes the CIAs that we just spoke about, that includes the task as well as behavior. And some companies are using that and saying, that will help us identify our gaps um, with our current population, or as part of an assessment process for people to come onto a high potential, I wanna be a district manager program, this will help us to identify where we need to focus our attention. So a couple of dual uses, I suppose. Great. Okay, and that leads that leads nicely into my next question. So, is it for everyone? I mean, what sort of size or scale of business needs to actually start looking harder at operational excellence and maybe thinking about talking to a training and development consultancy like yourselves? Um, is there a a golden rule about once you're a certain number of sites um, across a certain region, then you start to need to look at your operational managers, your your area managers and things like that and getting those right or does it does it work for everybody or is, is there a one size fits all answer to it? Yeah, I think quite a few points there. The operational access of course applies to everybody and everyone wants it. It's one of those yep. um, holy grails that we all want to achieve. The obviously point that I'm coming at or the perspective I'm coming from is if you develop multi-unit managers with the mindset and the skill set and tool set to be able to do it, you're more likely to achieve it consistently. Who needs it? Arguably any company, I think, above probably four to five units. I mean, we've worked with a couple of restaurant chains, um, Pizza Union uh, supported them. They've got two restaurants, and yet they understand the importance of developing. Um, they've got a fantastic manager there who's going to be their multi-unit manager as they grow. Um, great chain we work with in the Midlands called My Lahore, which is the British Asian kitchen, fantastic brand. Again, five restaurants at the moment, I'm sure they'll be expanding, and yet they're developing their operations manager. And then you've got companies like Welcome Break that I mentioned with obviously multiple sites. So, and companies like Starbucks, they develop their district management population and clearly they're all over the world. So I think everyone values it. Probably if you've got a plan to expand, you think I've only got two or three stores or restaurants or pubs, but operational consistency isn't where I need it to be. If I want to have that, as I described earlier, that uh, the road to operational excellence is paved with discipline and consistency, if I want that, maybe I need to develop my people. And I do get that there is, what do I do? How do I, where do I go from here? Which is obviously one of the reasons why we founded MMU was to help with that. But there's great books out there. Again, Jim Sullivan, Chris Edgar, Chris Muller, I've all written some fantastic um, insights and, and uh, academic research, particularly in Chris Edgar's um, perspective, that will help people along the way. Um, we're trying to act as the, the face of multi-unit management development. And I'm sure he won't mind me saying, I remember, I mean, Jim Sullivan and Chris Edgar have been incredibly supportive of, of what we're doing. And I also remember Jim Sullivan 
making a comment to me that I mean, he comes to the UK a couple of times in a year now and does a, a big seminar. He said, you know, if I walk away and I've inspired 40, 50% of the audience, that, that's fantastic to make a difference. My nervousness in my, my kind of nightmare moments is what are they doing in 30 days' time, right. 45, 90 days' time? Has that inspiration diminished or completely yeah. vanished? And uh, I suppose what our bit is goes back to my comment about ongoing. Yes, you can do an intervention, but if you don't follow it up, and that could be a phone call. I do lots of stuff where we're doing 10-minute Skype, FaceTime calls, or whatever. It doesn't need to be physically with someone. But having that, I know I'm going to be followed up every week for the next six months makes a difference. Yeah, no reinforce. Yeah, no one wants to be the person who hasn't done what they said they were going to be doing when they're going to be followed up. Brilliant. I'd just like to say, I think, as well as some of the books that I, I mentioned, I think what you're doing, Sam, with this... Right, so we didn't plan setting up MMU and Multisite Masters together. It was kind of a happy coincidence that we found each other. But I think this is another example of a great resource. Yeah. Whether or not you are actually a multi-unit manager is irrelevant. I think if I'm in marketing and I want to understand operations, if I'm in HR and I want to understand multi-unit management mm -hmm. a little bit more, there's been some really good selection yeah. uh, of different topics being yeah. covered. So I'm certainly recommending these podcasts to people we work with, clients, people that I mentor who aren't clients, I just mentor them, because I think there's a really good um, depth of content, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm great, I'm delighted to be part of it, but I think there's some really good um, ideas and material. I've listened to every single one and got, oh, I like that idea, or I like that, or whatever, or contact, obviously, that someone might want to speak to. And for us, this is just another great way in which I think we're beginning to realise the importance of developing people in the multi-unit management yeah. world. And as I say, it doesn't matter what role you're in, um, I said I had a mantra, leading operational excellence. My other mantra is if you're not serving a customer, you better be serving someone who is. And for me, that means if I'm in HR, if I'm in marketing, if I'm in finance, it's all about what goes on mm. in that restaurant or that store, whether I'm serving you coffee or a pint or I'm serving a, yeah. a packet of toilet rolls over a counter. It's how do I make it easier for the teams there to provide a better customer service, a better product and a better operation. And we should all have that mindset so this is just another little tool that I think can help people in whatever role they do achieve that okay brilliant um, it sounds like you guys are doing some fantastic things over at Master and Multi Units so I think we'll wrap up there and uh, just leaves me to say thank you very much Lee Sheldon for joining us thank you Sam it's been a real pleasure brilliant thank you thank you to our guest Lee Sheldon co-founder of Mastering Multi Units if you want to get in touch with either Lee or myself, you can find our contact details on our website, multisitemasters.co.uk. Thanks also to our episode sponsor, Yapster, the mobile chat app for retail and hospitality teams. To find out more about how Yapster can help your organisation, please visit yapster.info. That's Y-A-P-S-T-E-R.info. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to welcoming you back for next week's episode. As ever, you can email me via producer at multisitemasters.co.uk with any feedback or suggestions you might have for future guests. Thanks!